0: Today's lesson is I entitled The Kiln. What happens in a kiln? Lots of fire. It gets really, really hot. and It bakes things. Welcome to your house. Okay? That is what is going on, is that sometimes when we enter into a brand new relationship or a marriage context, we walk in with hopes and dreams. We're very soft and malleable and excited. Well, little by little, we have either positive or negative events that bake us into habits. So perhaps maybe there's just been... Fighting non-stop, you'll eventually throw up some walls, get hardened out, and eventually you end up as a roommate situation in your marriage. Or perhaps you could think of it as we come into this world as soft little babies, and we're moldable and changeable and teachable, but all of a sudden, if you are consistently told uh, in a negative sense, you're stupid, you're not worth anything, why are you here, you're just a problem, that bakes into you something that you have a hard time breaking out of. For the whole rest of your life. The majority of what I do in the counseling room is deal with issues of home. And I don't mean your current home. I do a lot of that too. But I'm talking about the home you grew up in. I'm talking to folks that are in their 60s, 70s, that are still wrestling with things that were said to them as a child. I don't care how old you get. You still sometimes feel like a little child inside and you remember what your parents said about you. Or there could be a positive experience in my life. I grew up, and as you guys know, i uh, shared very freely about the fact that uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven years old. And I didn't have a father around, um, except for in the house. But he always kept in contact with me. He always, he would call me, he would write me letters. And I grew up in an environment where my parents were my champions. They always told me I could do anything. They always told me that I was good at what I did. They would tell me, they would reinforce me all the time. They would encourage me. And I grew up in an environment that made me believe it. They gave me a platform, a foundation by which to launch off of. But for many of you, it was not only not a platform, it was a pit. And you haven't been able to climb out of it ever since. I couldn't say it any more clearly than the fill-in-the-blank there in front of you on your sheet, which is this, in the home, futures are born and hopes die. In the home, futures are born and hopes die. You guys remember the, uh, the famous prayer by Jesus, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray, and he gave us the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is probably a bad title for it, but we do this prayer all the time in a lot of churches, it's said out loud, it's Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. You cannot control your nation, no matter what type of voting system you have. You cannot control your neighborhood. But you have an awful lot of influence in your home. And that is where things begin to turn around. Take a look at the quote by Talmadge. Thomas DeWitt Talmadge said this, a church within a church, a republic within a republic, a world within a world is spelled in four letters. H-O-M-E. If things go right there, they go right everywhere. The very centerpiece of our culture is our homes. We must manage them well. Otherwise, Satan gains victory. And you may not be able to do everything, but in your home, it can be a place here on earth like it is in heaven. What's it like in heaven? Jesus reigns. So at least in your home, maybe Jesus can reign there in that tiny little environment. Because what you're doing is you're shaping the generation for the next world for most of us. Let us begin in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1. The book of Proverbs begins in the blue and red Bibles on page 449. We're going to be jumping all over the place. Some of you will want to keep up with me. Some of you will get sick and tired of turning back and forth, so you'll give up and just listen to me. That's fine, too. But Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, is where we're going to begin. And I think it says a very powerful statement. And we will pray for the word after I read this just one verse. Proverbs 17, one better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would give us insight into what we need to know for our particular environment. Many of us, Lord, are not married. Show us how to prepare our hearts if you are going to call us to that marriage. Lord, if we are married, would you show us how to be good husbands and wives? If we are parents, would you show us how to be good parents? For grandparents or grandkids, would you help us to have wisdom in those environments? Father, we don't have all the answers, but yet as you reveal your will to us, may you empower us to do what you've called us to do. But it begins with your word and discerning what is true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Is that true? Let's make it very very practical. Let's say for example, your house is full uh of arguing largely because you as a gentleman are a- are completely absent emotionally you work your tail off day in, day out. You're gone all the time. You're traveling all the time. And so you have not provided any type of foundation whatsoever for your family. Your children cannot connect with you. Your wife cannot connect with you. Therefore, your house is in chaos. There's consistent fighting and strife. And when you're asked, why are you working so much? You say something to the degree of, well, I want to be able to provide for my family and give them the things that we never had growing up. And now I've actually worked to the degree that we now have the vacation home we've always wanted. Unfortunately, no one wants to go there because they don't want to be around each other. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Why don't you twist that a little bit? What does it profit you if you gain all the money and you lose your own family? Kids, listen to me for a moment. Let's say, for example, you've spent your whole time fighting against your parents. All you do is just spend time causing tumultuous rebellion. It's just kind of like I got to ram against everything and everybody's causing me problems. Everyone's up in my grill. Everybody's causing me issues. And so I get really angry and it's I'm really mad. Well, then you finally get what you want. You finally get uh, the CD that you want or you get whatever it is that you've been looking forward to. And yet your whole house is full of fighting and your parents are constantly on your case and there's nagging and fighting. Do you ever enjoy what you got? No, it takes all the joy out of it. See, here's the deal. It's better to have nothing and peace than everything and strife. As we look through in Proverbs, we're going to begin a series of important roles that are played in the home. And the first I want to begin with is a word for husbands. So, guys, I'm going to beat on you first. All right. So I know that this is supposed to be a place of also encouragement, but I don't have that gift. Let's move on. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21, a word for husbands. There's very little written in the book of Proverbs about how to be a good husband. Maybe that's because Solomon had 700 wives and 300 mistresses and he was a terrible one. I don't know. Certainly a do as I say, not as I do thing. However, there are a few things that we can glean out and I think they're important. Husbands, you have an incredibly powerful, powerful role in your home. And I'm going to speak to your role as a husband. I'm going to speak to your role as a father. Understand that you are the spiritual leader of your home. The Bible says that you outrank every member in your house, whether you like it or not. Now, you would look at that and go, oh, sweet, that means everyone has to get me the remote. That does not, <laughs> that is not what it says. Uh, if anyone has ever been in the military, uh, if something goes wrong in the field, who's going to get busted for something goes wrong? The highest ranking official. Regardless of who started it, it doesn't matter. Gentlemen, your job is to manage your household well. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But understand that you have a certain amount of roles to fulfill as husbands, as dads, single guys. Maybe there will be some day that you are called to be a husband. You must prepare now. Otherwise, you'll be behind the ball. We can look at a dysfunctional husband and a wise and godly husband. We begin by looking at what a dysfunctional husband would look like. Surprisingly enough, it it occurs in a really unusual place. It occurs in Proverbs 30, verse 21, in a statement about the devastating effects in the world. It says this. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. Now, that means there are four devastating forces in the world that this wise man observed, a servant who becomes a king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married and a maidservant who replaces her mistress. Two of the most devastating factors in the world are caused by husbands, the first of which is an unmarried, excuse me, a married, unloved woman. Sociologists have determined, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, but sociologists have determined that in America, the number one need in women is security. Gentlemen, unfortunately, misdiagnose how to fix that problem, and they think that somehow it means financial provision. That is only one tiny component of it. As a matter of fact, the most felt need that women have is to be prioritized, number one, to be cherished, to be loved, to be said that when all things come head to head... That they will win out over everything else. That they're more important than your job. That they're more important than your friends. That is the greatest felt need. And indeed, what does Paul end up saying that is command from the Lord in Ephesians? He said, uh, women, respect your husbands. Husbands, what? Love your wives. To what degree? As Christ loved the church to death. Now, you would go, well, Lance, if we're going to talk about marriage, why don't we just go to the book of Ephesians and study it? It's an awful lot clearer. You ready? Because we're teaching on Proverbs. (laughs) And so, you might want to read that book. Okay, here we go. Here is why I believe that it is so devastating for a woman to be married and unloved. Because the very core need that she has cannot be fulfilled by any other man but one. Her husband. As a matter of fact, God institutes marriage as a lifetime covenant. You don't get out of it. When you're in, you're locked. God said, you want to get married under my name? I will seal that in a supernatural way. You don't break that. It is a lifetime commitment. And you only have one guy that could fulfill your deepest need. What if that guy doesn't? Then you're in a living hell. Gentlemen, what is our mandate then but to love our wives? We're to love our wives in a way that they can feel and understand. You guys have heard all the old jokes about, you know, the guy says, well, I told you I loved you when I got married. If it changes, I'll let you know. Okay, well, that's not helpful. It's kind of like, come on now. We need to love women in a manner in which they can understand, in a manner in which they can feel and go feelings. Bah, what does that matter? Matters a lot, you moron. It matters because we go through life and we need to know in our own language, in our love language, that we are loved and cherished. Women would say, and so, gentlemen, our job is to love on them in that manner. Because an unloved woman is devastating. The second is the issue of fidelity. The only way a maidservant can displace her mistress is if you grab a new one and displace the old one. I don't need to hit on this too hard because I believe that we understand the concept and we talked about adultery a lot last week. But the idea is, gentlemen, lock your sights on your wife. Remain committed. Good dads are committed. Bad dads stray. Good husbands are locked in. Bad husbands stray. Keep your eyes centered. Keep your heart within your wife. Don't give me this deal about how you love them both, for that takes away the whole point. Love one and love strongly. Amen? Amen. What does a wise and godly husband look like? Well, I found four specific directives in the book of Proverbs. They all seem to come out of Proverbs 31. Uh, At least three of them do. And this is kind of what I found. I found that there's a phrase in there that it says, when there is a noble and godly wife, her husband has, quote, full confidence in her. Guys, that's something we're not very good at. The sociologists say that our deepest need is significance. And we get so wrapped up in being significant ourselves and scratching and clawing to feel good about ourselves and raise up our level of confidence. We forget that God put her in your life because she is able she may be wiser than you are. And there needs to be a certain degree that as you see her to be wise, you take a large chunk of the authority and power in that family and you place it confidently within her and say, you can do this. Because women are just as gifted as God by God. We need to place that confidence in her and let her know we believe in her. Because, gentlemen, one of the calls as a spiritual leader of the house that you have is to empower your family. You empower your wife. You empower your children. What do they need to thrive? Go find it, get it, and make sure they have it. I didn't say that you need to provide everything they want. I said you need to provide everything they need. And you need to get behind them because why? If you are the highest title in your home, what does Jesus' economy say? It says he who has the highest title is what? the greatest servant. It's an upside-down economy. So your job as the leader of your house is to serve all of them in a manner in which they need to be served. The second directive that I saw out of the book of Proverbs for husbands in a positive way is that, gentlemen, we need to be husbands worthy of respect. I don't mean money. Money doesn't mean anything. I'm not talking about fame and power. That doesn't mean anything. I mean that when you walk by... Do the other men and women of society say, there goes a good man? Or when you walk by, do they go, you've heard about that guy, right? Ah, big difference. The third directive that I saw for us as husbands is that the phrase was used, a woman is amazing, she's great, she's noble, she's this and that, and her husband praises her. We need to be encouraging and praising husbands. That means, gentlemen, being verbal. I know that's not your big strong point, all right? got to get verbal. you got to tell her that you love what she does, what she's great at. You praise her for. Why? Just think about how it is for you at work. As you're going through work, you tend to drift towards where you get credit. So if someone consistently praises you and they go, man, you did this report in such an exceptional way in my history of working in this company. I've never seen anybody put it this tightly down this fast. You're extraordinary. You would then want to do another report in the same way. Your wife wants to know what she does. Well, for example, if let's say she watches somebody else's kids and there's eight kids in the house and they're "Ah!" running madly all over the place and she gets them nailed down to get them all having lunch, having little dino nuggets. Right. And they're all hanging out together and they all end up eating their food and it ends up cleaning it up and they grab that stuff and she cleans it up. You know what? You need to stop and go, you know what, honey? I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I would have had the ability to corral all these little cats running about. I don't know if I could have been able to harness all this and do it in such an organized fashion that they are loved on and taken care of. I just want to tell you, you're extraordinary. You got to be positive and encouraging as a husband. Because your wife will shrivel without it. Ladies, amen. Amen. Sweet. Guys, don't say amen. Right on. Here we go. (laughs) The final thing is another one that I don't need to take too much time on because we talked so much last week. But as gentlemen, in Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about having a healthy, sexual, intimate relationship with your wife. And you need to meet her needs there. In other words, it says, drink water from your own cistern. It says, may her breath satisfy you. It says, may you always be captivated by her love. In other words, there needs to be a place in the intimate relationship between the two of you that she feels valued and satisfied. And the idea is that, are you tender with her, kind to her, are you looking out for her best interest. That's the point. Those make good, wise, and godly husbands. Ladies, a word for you as wives. I beat up on the guys. Now it's your turn. Here we go. The power a wife wields is extraordinary. We could talk about the power of a mom. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Have you ever heard that? In the same way, ladies, you harness a power over your home like none other. You have the ability to raise it up and tear it down. You have the ability to make your husband strong and to cut his legs out from under him. You've got to determine what kind of wife you are going to be. As I look through this, I realized you have perhaps almost more power than the guys to shape who your husband is. Take a look with me at Proverbs 12, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. That means she makes him look good. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Okay, here's what you must understand. I take a tremendous amount of strain upon me in this job. It's a very heavy, heavy job. I listen to some very difficult things, I handle a very difficult schedule, and stuff has an eternal impact. However, I can handle anything that this job throws my way. But if I'm at odds with my wife and I'm fighting with her, or if my kids are sick or if they're going off the deep end, I'm undone. You see, at home, my heart is open. Here, I can distance myself. If things go badly here, let's say I become a horrible pastor and everyone turns around and looks and goes, you know what? We've got to get that guy out of here. I will be crushed, but there's somewhere I can run to. I can run home. And I have an identity there. But if my home is undone, I have nowhere to run. That is why I need to explain something to you. And I need to make it very clear to you. My family is more important than you. And I have I wrestled with it initially about the whole idea that getting married and having kids would slow down my efficiency in ministry. I would be able to do less ministry because I have a family. And you know what? That's true. But so what? God has never worried about the results. He handles the results. He fixes all the stuff. I'm just playing along. So in my life, and this is not to say, look how good Lance is, because let me explain something to you. Any structure, any health, any family focus that I have in my life is due to my wife's influence. She is the one that has made me healthy. She is the one that has made our family whole. She is the one that has altered me as a man to becoming a better dad and husband. I take no credit whatsoever. We had a very harsh series of fights over this issue about seven and a half years ago. I tend towards chaos. I want to do ministry 24 hours a day. I want to be crazy and be with everybody all the time. Let's invite everybody over to my house. Come on, let's all live together. It's a great commune. Woo! (laughs) And my wife said, no, we're not doing that. That's unhealthy. And we set down a pattern. I go through the same pattern every week. You can ask me about my schedule. I will write it down for you. It's very specific. I take off two days a week. Most pastors take off one. I could do a lot more ministry if I had another day, but why? My family is of highest value, so I will place my time there. Five nights a week, even with my very, very busy schedule, five nights a week, I eat dinner at the table with my children. There are two nights that I'm not able to do that. Every Wednesday night, I let my wife go out for Girl's night out. She just hangs out with friends. She just takes off. I take the kids. And then I take the kids, and we have daddy-daughter date night. And daddy-daughter date night is that we hang out and we do something fun. Now, I'm the little bit more of the adventurous side of the parenting. I'm the one that wrestles with the kids and goes, you want to fight? You want to fight? You know, they're three-year-old girl. She's like, come on. I'll start swinging. Okay? It's awesome. If you ever get punched, I'm sorry. That was my fault. I'm the one that reads the character voices to the kids when I'm reading the books. And that's, that's kind of my gig on this. So I take them out and we paint ceramics sometimes that color me mine. You know, that's really manly. And we go out and we, we'll see a movie, a Horton Hears a Who, or, or we'll take off and we'll go to John's Incredible Pizza and spend our retirement. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, thought, I thought Chuck E. Cheese was bad until I ended up at John's Incredible Pizza. The point is, is that I, that's time for me as a dad to pour into my children alone. That's time for her to remember that she's a girl. That's time for her to remember she's a woman and not just a mom and not just a wife. I have uh, on my day off Mondays, my day off in the morning is mine. It's just me. And I take off where I remember I'm a guy and not just a pastor, not just a dad, not just a husband. All this structure is because of my life. She brought all that in, all that wisdom. I get a chance that I would say probably six nights out of seven, I put the kids to bed. I get their jammies on. I brush their teeth with them. I read them books every night. Because I know the power is if I don't take care of them, who's going to take care of them? It can't all be on my wife. But as we look through this, you need to understand, ladies... The power that my wife wields in our family, you can look at our family and go, gosh, who's really calling the shots? You know what? A lot of times it's her. Why? Because as a good manager of my household, I realize she's brilliant. Proverbs 14.1 says, the wise woman builds her house with her own hands. The foolish one tears hers down. Ladies, you have the power to build and to destroy. Use that power very wisely. There are two elements of a dysfunctional wife that Proverbs hits on very strongly. As a matter of fact, it repeats them over and over and over. One of those, the most common, is adultery. Ladies, I know the husband isn't going to fulfill all your needs, and I know there's a lot of guys that will seem like they will. Keep your eyes locked, keep your heart committed to your husband. Do not stray. The second one, this is one that Solomon says five times. Now, you have to understand, the vast majority of wisdom in Proverbs, he says things once. He says this five times. You think he's trying to make a point? What's his point? It's better to live on the corner of a roof than to live with a quarrelsome woman. Gentlemen, that's where I hear an amen. Thank you. All right. As a matter of fact, he describes it two times and he says living with a quarrelsome woman is like living with a constant dripping
1: you're irritating
0: and i can't shut you down the whole time it's the nag na 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 everything's a problem everything's a fight everything's an issue and everybody knows that the kids are like oh my gosh mom's coming home and they're freaking out it's kind of like it's going to go high drama and and the husband's going "Are you sure i can't work overtime are you sure are you sure okay because nobody wants to go hang out with this devastating force it talks about this woman not only being quarrelsome or starting fights, but being ill-tempered, just always having a problem. That woman will destroy her house. But it says that trying to restrain a woman like that is like trying to, trying to capture the wind or trying to grasp oil. Ladies, no one can change that behavior but you alone. If your husband gets up in your face and tries to dominate you, it just makes it worse. If your husband abdicates and disappears, it only makes it worse. Only you have the power to decide what your behavior and attitude is going to be. And at some point you have to decide, I don't want to be that woman. When you talk about a positive, wise, and godly wife, you come upon, in my opinion, the single largest passage in the book of Proverbs on one topic. And it comes in the form of the Proverbs 31 woman. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 31 as we address this together? Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Notice that throughout the book of Proverbs, it says comments like, if you find a good wife, you found a gift from God. You see, good wives are extraordinary and they can make or break people you need to understand, wives, that you are a gift from God. Make sure that you remain being a gift from God. Now, as we enter into this Proverbs 31, you're about to see, ladies, this bar that sets sky high. The lady that we're about to read does not exist. This is a concept. But what it does is it empowers women and it exalts women to the idea that they can get a lot done and they can use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has put within them. If you've ever believed that the Bible was somewhat demeaning to women, you've never read it. If you believe in some way that the Bible has said that a woman, a godly woman, is a tiny little mouse of a creature that hides in the corner, you've never read this. So let's read it. As we go through and we examine it, you will notice that there is no less than 17 references to her being strong. Proverbs 31, verse 10 begins like this. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it, and out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. That's like threading, uh, making thread in a loom. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Just a side note, a scarlet and purple were royal colors, and there's a reason for that. Um, it happened to be the most expensive fabric to make because the, the materials that you make the dye for were very expensive and rare. So the point is, is she's clothed in very expensive clothing because of the business that she has done. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with what? Strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her verbally saying, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now, that's quite a woman. Do you understand that she is concurrently running five home businesses at the same time? In a culture... 3,000 years ago, when this was written, women were property in every other environment, yet here comes the Bible, exalting women to some type of business equality status. Now, in the society, women did not run businesses outside the home. In that limited environment, she has five running out of her house. As a matter of fact, I went through them. Selecting wool and flax speaks of a harvest job. It's spoken of trading, bringing food from afar and ordering and buying. Number three, she buys fields. That means she does land development. Four, she plants vineyards, which means she has to run the grape harvest. Number five, she does sowing both for herself and for sales. Five home businesses being running out of her house at the same time and two full-time ministries. It says that she gives out wisdom and faithful instruction. And when you do that, that's called a counseling ministry. And everybody comes from all over to hear what you have to say. Secondly, she opens up her arms to who? But the needy and the hurting. When you begin to help the needy, other needies learn about it. And it begins to draw more and more and more and more and more. Yeah? So here is a strong, godly woman. I just need you to understand that. Now, I want you to do it in your own personality. But ladies, do you understand that there's something to launch for and you have plenty of room to thrive? We shift to our third of the three topics. We talked about wives, we talk about husbands, we talk about parents. Parents, turn with me to Proverbs 17, 6. Proverbs 176. It's kind of an interesting element. Proverbs 176, just the second half of the verse, it's only a few words. But it says this parents are the pride of their children. Are you? When the kids, when somebody else goes, hey, what's your daddy like? And they go, I don't know. Hey, what's your daddy like? I don't know. He does the computer a lot. Hey, what's your daddy like? "Ah, He's always angry. Well, what's your mommy like? Oh, she's crazy. (laughs) What's your mommy like? She cries all the time. See, here's the deal, is that your kids, I'm not telling you that you need to run around and do stuff just to make your kids give you a good name. What I'm telling you is be of the sort of character that your kids can look at you and go, you know what? We don't always agree, but I respect you. You know, we don't always agree, and I don't always see things your way, but you're a good dad. Now, right now, i got an easy pass. So when I talk about parenthood, I want you to take it with a grain of salt. i got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Right now, I am a superhero. That will change rapidly as they get older. But for right now, I'm still a stud. Okay? They're both convinced they're both going to marry me still, so I'm okay with that. But we need to understand that parents are to be worthy of respect, to be the pride of their kids. Do your kids look at other kids and go, my dad's awesome, my mom's awesome, even though they may be the disciplinarian. In our house, Susie is far more the disciplinarian, and yet my kids are very proud of their mom. She's still the strong one, the one that comes in and lowers the blowdown. But we need to understand that when we're dealing with kids, there's something that Proverbs harps on tremendously, and it's the issue of discipline. Discipline. As a matter of fact, turn with me to Proverbs 3.11. There's a few things we need to understand about discipline from Scripture. Four in particular. First of all, discipline is Loving. Proverbs three verse eleven says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves like a father, the son he delights in. Discipline is loving. Secondly, discipline protects your children. Proverbs twenty three thirteen says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. It protects them. Uh, discipline is also makes them wise and godly, it says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, And indeed, Proverbs brings uh, discipline, brings peace to your household. See, here's the deal. We have this massive backlash, as you guys all noticed, that from the heavy-handed "children are seen but not heard" attitude of the past, all of a sudden the '60s and '70s sweep in, and now everybody goes to the other extreme, and they got to be buddies to their kids, and there's no structure or discipline, and all the kids are going to hell in a handbasket. That's not right. It's wrong. It's out. Of, it's not loving. See, here's the thing: you need to realize it's loving. It protects some. And you're not protecting them. If you were constantly going, I don't know, what do you want to do? <laughs> Just try not to let the pot fall on the ashes. Okay, you don't do that at home, okay? You've you got to put in some rules and some boundaries because it's loving. And you know what? As much as they fight against it, you want to really freak a kid out and screw him up, throw him in an open field and say, you have no parameters whatsoever. Figure it out. That's unfair. It's not kind. It's not loving. But when we talk about bringing in discipline, let me tell you what healthy discipline is. Healthy discipline is for the child's benefit, not yours. This is not a time to vent anger. You do not vent anger in discipline. If you need to go walk around the block 60 times before you mellow out, go do that. Because discipline is for the child's benefit, not yours. I don't know what you want to do for your discipline, but your discipline better match the child. All children are different. There's some little kids that you look at them wrong, and they crack just like that. I got a little one, Andy, my little one. If you look at them wrong, they're like, I'm so sorry, and she's falling apart, you know. Just because you looked at her wrong, you're like, I just said good morning. <laughs> I don't know what what happened there. And then there's kids where you could back the car over them like 15 times, and they have no idea you're disciplining them, right? Okay, that's called a strong-willed child, and you got to go buy a Dobson book, because I have no clue how in the world I'm going to run with that one, all right? Listen, You need to have the discipline that matches the child and all children are different. So sometimes your discipline is going to be something to the degree that they're a teenager and they're just acting like punks. They have no, no regard for anybody. And you finally go, you know what? You're so selfish and caught up in yourself. Hey, check this out. I'm going to pull everything out of your room. How do you like that? There's sometimes when a little kid, you're going to go, you know what? That's called a timeout. You're acting like a little brat. Go over there or go to your room. That's fine. Maybe that works for them. Some of the little ones, you grab them and you go, no, you cannot rip your sister's hair out. You swat them and go knock it off. There's other ones that you could look at and you would say, you know what? You don't get any TV. And they're like, oh, my goodness. Right. I mean, it's just whatever works for that particular child. You need a discipline that works in their personality and discipline that works in their age. But it cannot be about you. You know, everyone worries about this whole thing. They're like, it's just, bring a rod. I've got to go get a stick. You know, you're like, come on. The point of that is saying you need to discipline in a manner that they can understand. That it is still discipline. A lot of people go, I don't understand why my kid's a total brat. I discipline them all the time. I go, well, what do you do? I tell them, That's bad. Well, yeah, you pansy. No wonder they're running the house. Okay, here's the deal. A lot of people go, my house, it's just chaos. It's just chaos. It's just cha-. Who's the parent? It's you. Figure it out. Quit running around. You go, I don't know. I have all these kids. and they're... okay, Who had all those kids? That was you. Well, my husband doesn't help. Well, you should have known he was an idiot a long time ago. Guys, you got to be involved. You've got to be engaged. What you think? It's easy on me, too. When I get home, I've am got to get right in there and get immediately help out with the kids because now I'm home. What, do you think my wife's been sitting around eating bonbons all day? She's got a brutal job, too. So, yeah, we get involved. And involved dad is a godly dad. See, parents are called to provide. That's true. It says that. But one thing that's very important is parents are called to instruct. Both fathers and mothers are called to instruct. You've got to teach your children in a manner they can understand. An age-appropriate manner. Just screaming at them to memorize verses in the King James isn't helpful. Maybe you need to get Hermy and Wormy to talk to them. Maybe you need to get veggie tails to hang out with them. But you instruct them. You get involved with their lives and you speak about topics they want to talk about. When you're going home and you guys are in the same car and they start talking about something, they're trying to let you know what's interesting to them. Talk in their language. But dads, you instruct them just as much as moms do. As we close out, I have a word for the kids. Kids, I know you probably are saying, well, I definitely should have been back with Justin. This guy's a jerk. <laughs> but, but I want you to understand you impact your family in one of two ways, directly and indirectly. Directly means sometimes you're just horrible to your parents. You've got to stop doing that. It's not all about you. And I know sometimes they're suffocating and they're constantly cramping your style. And I know that they don't always understand you. I get all that. But I want you to understand something. I don't care how young you are. I started Minister Young, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life just like your parents do. And you're a Christian, just like your parents are. And I want you to know that you need to take that seriously. That you have a chance to change your family. You can ruin your family, or you can make your family awesome. You can make your dad go to work and go, you know what? I'm so proud of my kids. Or you can make your dad go to work and say, you know what? I must have failed everywhere because my kids are terrible. I just want you to know, kids, you, you have so much power in your household to ruin stuff. Please love on your parents. Please be kind to them. They have a really tough job. They're just people. They don't have all the answers, and they're trying to figure it out. And so, no, they're not going to do everything right. And you can sit there and hit them over the head with it over and over and over. Or you can say, you know what? You're trying, but please love on them. They need you to love on them. The second way is indirectly that the way you live your life stresses your parents out. And you need to realize the choices you make really impact everybody else. I know it feels like it's all about you, but it's not. You're really impacting other people. And I hope you guys are all realizing that I don't care if you're 60. If your parents are alive, you're still a kid. You understand what I'm saying? The final words come to the children in this listen to your parents instruction I'm not telling you they're brilliant I'm not even telling you they're right listen to them take it to heart because I do know that the majority the vast majority have your best interest in mind The final words go to the grandkids and the grandparents grandparents Proverbs 13:22 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children You go, I don't got that kind of money. You sure we're talking about money? How about a legacy? How about a spiritual foundation? How about setting a tone where your kids go, you know what? We've been doing this ever since my grandfather did. We've been doing this ever since my grandmother did. Listen, the kids are going to battle with their parents, but they don't have to battle with you. You may be a safe outlet, grandparents, where you can speak Jesus Christ into your grandkids. You may not have all that access. They don't let me see the kids all that often. Well, then when you do get a chance to see them, make it valuable. Write them notes, little things they can keep to hang on, to read when they are ready. Because they're not always ready. But love on them. Take care of them. Instruct them. You have an amazing ability to speak and influence your grandkids' lives. Please use it wisely. Ground, grandkids, the final word comes to you. Proverbs 17.6 says, children's children are a crown to the aged. That means you, grandkids, can make your grandparents really proud by the way you act. And you can make them feel really good and say, you know what? Every time I'm around my grandkids, I feel like a breath of fresh air came into the room. I can't wait to see them. Grandkids, please love on your grandparents. Because even though they're a little bit older, they still need your love just as much as mom does. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and some instruction in the ways of the family. Lord, that you would allow Solomon and company to write us some of these wisdom words to to look at and to examine for our own lives. Would you please uh, open up our hearts to allow all this information to settle down deep and to raise up a harvest of righteousness. Lord, protect our families. Don't let Satan tear us apart. Protect our marriages. Protect our children. Protect our parents. And Father, would you unite us together in the unity that only the Holy Spirit can provide. And may it be on earth, here in our homes, heaven in Jesus name we.